Welcome to Central Baptist Church Buna's weekly sermon podcast. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at cbcbuna.com. Amen and amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 is where we've kind of made a home for uh, this Thanksgiving season, thinking about what it means and what it actually looks like to rejoice. Uh, Rejoicing is not always easy, and I kind of want to talk today about how we rejoice when it's not easy to rejoice. Last week we said that in a sense rejoicing is a choice, that we have to choose to rejoice, yet what do we do when it's not so easy to make that choice? So you know that I'm, I'm the new guy. I've been here a couple months now uh, from Southeast Texas, but had fled to the Northern Kingdom for a season of Kansas. And when you come back to Texas, there is a price to be paid for leaving the great state of Texas. They want you to know that you have made a terrible decision and never leave again. And they do this in the form of massive amounts of paperwork and work to transition your life from another state back to Texas. So I'm telling you, documents like nobody's business, like we're and in the middle of that, we're also getting a mortgage. So I mean, we are doing paperwork. I signed my name so much, it wouldn't surprise me for somebody to come up and say, your name is now legally something different. I just signed everything. So it would have been a great time for you to pull some forgery on me, all right? So just signing tons of documents, going through all that, getting our cars, uh, you know, like Texas uh, license plates and transferred to titles here and all of that. Uh, and in the midst of that, the most challenging part had to be what is honestly universal in our culture. It's, it's kind of funny to me how it doesn't matter where you're from in America, big city, small town, like media portrays this on TV shows and books and movies. It's absolutely true. One of the worst places to go in the world is the DMV or the driver's license office. It's like absolute universal. And like in my head, I'm thinking this is going to be different. I'm back in Southeast Texas. Like it's going to be fine. So we go online and we discover that you have to have like 17 documents, a blood and urine sample, a letter from the president. Like it's ridiculous. Sorry, I was a little too far. Like you got to have all this stuff to try to get a driver's license. So Mallory and I, we're planners. So we start getting it together and we take all of our stuff to this office. And I think, okay, we got it down. I kid you not, guys, on one of my Friday mornings off, we were there for at least two hours trying to get a driver's license, Mallory and I. And we even had all of our paperwork. And I got to tell you, if you've ever been to this office over in Jasper, there's room in there for about 15 people. And you have to schedule when you're going to go. So I thought this is going to be fine. No, there are 40 people in that room. We're sitting on the floor at one point, and a lady comes out and says, y'all can't be sitting on that floor. And I just looked at her just so sweetly with the love of Christ and said, do you think we chose to sit on the floor, ma'am? My kids are eating a sausage biscuit off the the floor at the DPS office, right? We didn't make this choice, ma'am. There aren't chairs available. So anyways, we finally get to the counter, and I'm telling y'all, it took an extremely long time with the two of us there. The the people that are sitting in the chairs are mad at us for sitting in the chairs so long. Uh, the, The lady behind the desk is mad because the system is not working very well. When we finally left, I told Mallory, we borrowed a couple hundred thousand dollars to buy a house easier than we can get a Texas driver's license. We live in an unreasonable world. And perhaps that's just a small snapshot of our unreasonable world. And I just got to tell you, uh, ma'am, if you're here today and you were the one working at that desk, I was trying to rejoice, but it just wasn't happening, all right, if you're watching online. 
Uh, and she wasn't happy either. It's a, you know, it's, it's a difficult system in which she's trying to operate. It was very difficult. But the reason I share that with you is because I think that's a pretty good snapshot of our world and our culture today. It's hard to rejoice at the driver's license office. It's also pretty hard to rejoice in the world in which you and I find ourselves today. And even when we find something to rejoice about, doesn't it seem like it's short-lived and then we're unrejoicing? We live in a world of chaos and crazy. And what I want us to consider today is how Jesus makes us reasonable people in an unreasonable world. That's our big truth today. Jesus makes us reasonable people in an unreasonable world. And I think we need to talk about this because, again, we live in a world that's kind of chaotic and crazy. And we saw last week in Philippians 2 that Paul says we are to shine like stars in the universe. How do we shine bright in our culture? He said, by not grumbling and complaining. Anybody good at that? No, you're good at grumbling and complaining. That's not what I meant. Some of you are like, yeah, that's me, right? But the way we shine and look different is that in the midst of an unreasonable culture and an unreasonable world, we ought to be people who live a life of rejoicing in the middle of the chaos. How in the world, though, does that happen? Maybe last week you left thinking, all right, the Bible said it, I believe it, that's the way it is, I gotta rejoice. And maybe you did all right on Sunday. Some of you are like, man, I didn't even make it home, Pastor, but let's not talk about that. But then what happened Monday when you, you go to work and everything's hitting the fan? But what do you do when you go to school and that person's picking on you? What, what do you do when you get that call from a relative who, who's not feeling well and had a bad diagnosis? But what do you do when you have a kid that's wandering from the Lord? And how do we find ourselves being reasonable people in an unreasonable world? Well, today, as we continue here in Philippians 4, Paul is going to kind of show us the how, how it is we actually run this place. So we saw this call to rejoice. Now, how do we actually do it? I want to remind you quickly that last week we defined rejoice simply as this. We, we discovered as you look at the root of the word rejoice that in the Greek language, the word rejoice is literally the verb form of the word grace. So rejoicing is walking in the grace of Jesus. So to rejoice is to walk transformed by Christ. Like, I want to live in such a way that it is abundantly clear that Jesus has changed my life. And every time you look at my life, you see Jesus has changed me. That's what it means to live a life of rejoicing. And the good news of the gospel is that Christ stands ready to help us make that happen. Because I promise you, you and I are not going to be able to live a life of rejoicing on our own. Our rejoicing turns to complaining so quick. Just let me preach like 45 minutes today, and some of y'all will move from rejoicing to complaining as your belly starts grumbling. So how do we do this? Well, thankfully, the Word of God's going to teach us. So let's read Philippians 4, 4 through 9. We're going to read this entire text again, and then we'll zoom in on verses 5 through 7. But let's read it all, and then we'll pray and ask God to help us. The Word of the Lord says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we do desire that your peace would be ever-present in this place today. Lord, that as we ponder what it means to rejoice and what your word says about how we can actually do that, Lord, that we would just let your truth sink in in such a way that we can actually walk this out. So God, help us today to be a people of rejoicing. It's in your name we pray, amen. So friends, to walk in the grace of Jesus, to rejoice, first means you must have experienced the grace of Jesus. So before we even really dive in, I just want to ask you today, do you know Jesus? Because if you don't know Jesus, you're not going to be able to live a life of rejoicing. The only joy and hope you're going to have is based on the temporary circumstances of this world. And what we said last week is the problem with that is they're always changing. We live in an ever-changing world. The problem with temporary things is that they're, well, temporary. But we have an unchanging God who has an unchanging gospel. And the gospel, the good news is this. Even though you and I are sinners, God loved us enough that he sent Jesus. And Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never did anything outside of the will of his heavenly Father. Yet Christ hung on the cross, and as he hung on the cross, the punishment that you and I deserve, the very wrath of God because of our sin, the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus paid it all. All the sin, past, present, and future of all humanity was poured out on Christ, and it killed him. He took that sin and death to the grave. But the reason you and I celebrate today is because three days later, he came out victorious over sin and death. And the Bible says that any who call upon him and ask him to be their Lord and Savior, who, as Brother Bryce so eloquently asked those questions, if you admit that, man, I'm a sinner and and I'm not right with God and I recognize that I'm not right with him, but I know and believe that he died on the cross for my sins. So you ask him to be your Lord and Savior and you commit your life to him. In that moment, the Bible says you go from death to life. You become a brand new creation. And that's what we celebrated here today. This baptism wasn't salvation. We're celebrating that these guys and girls gave their lives to Christ. Some over the past few weeks, some over the past few months, some over the past few years. And they said today, I want to give a public demonstration of what Christ has done in my life. The old has passed away, been buried with Christ, and raised to walk in new life. Friends, have you had that moment in your life? Oh, if you haven't, can I tell you what a day of rejoicing today could be? Because real rejoicing is found in really knowing the Savior. If you don't know Christ, then today needs to be the day that you ask him to be your Lord and Savior. So when you're walking in the transforming power of Christ, that becomes a life of rejoicing. And how do we do that? Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. That's what we talked about last week. Today, it starts with the statement, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And, And as we said, that's difficult for us. Would you say that we are known as a people by our reasonableness? I would say that our culture is marked, again, by unreasonableness. Then we tend to get drawn off sides by the culture wars. 
Man, whether it be politics, whether it be local politics, whether it be the latest thing on social media, whatever it is, people are going on either side and lobbing bombs at one another. And man, it is a world of chaos. And I believe that we have an enemy who is the master of unreasonableness. And I believe Satan comes in. The Bible says Satan's role is to steal, kill, and destroy. And I believe that many of us unwittingly get sucked in neck deep into his schemes by participating in the drama and chaos of our unreasonable culture. How are we to walk in a different way? We ought to be known for our reasonableness. How does that happen? Well, this reminder comes in verse 5. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Man, isn't that just a great statement right there? Now, traditionally, this has been interpreted a couple different ways, and, you know, scholars will argue over which one it is. Can I just tell you, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to argue. I think it's a both end, and we can take both of them. Here's what some say it is. Some say this statement, the Lord is at hand, is an indicator and a reminder that the Lord is coming soon. And I would just say yes and Amen. Have you watched the news lately? I would just advise turning it off sometimes, but some of you are like 24 seven, slow down. It's going to be all right. That's what I always love. I always, you know, people are like, these kids are on their phones all the time. And I'll be sitting in their living room as they're going on and on about their kids on their phones. And in the background, the whole time, whatever flavor of cable news they want is blaring loudly. And I'm like, I don't think that's so healthy either. Your screen's bigger you know, right? and louder. You may not hear as well, but that's fine, right? So it's easy for us to get drawn off sides. But, but man, listen, if you look at our culture around us, you look at the world, the, even the unreasonable nature of our world today, I think is evidence and a reminder that we have a God who is going to come back for his people. And isn't it comforting to know that we have a Savior who's going to come back and finish this thing? Jesus is going to come and literally rule and reign over everything one day. And friends, that ought to encourage us as God's people today. What would it look like for you to live as if Christ could be coming back today? What would that look like for you? Man, I, I know we talk about like, you know, live like you're dying, get Tim McGraw up here and say, you know, like, amen, what would, oh man, my life would be so, listen, can I tell you? You want your life to look different? Don't just live like you might die today. Live like Jesus might be coming back today. Who would you be calling? If you knew for a fact that the Lord was coming back this afternoon, who would you be calling right now to try to make sure they know Christ? What gospel conversations would you be having today? We wouldn't have to have like an evangelism rally at the church where we're like, hey guys, let us equip you how to share the God. No, you would be finding a way to tell people about Jesus. And I want to see a church that really believes that Jesus is real and really believes that Jesus is really coming back because that kind of church is a church that will set the world on fire for Christ. The Lord is at hand, friends. Let's live like it. But, but here's what I also need to tell you. This is a reminder not only of the future coming of Christ, but the Lord is at hand is also a statement some scholars have interpreted in this way. It's just a great reminder that God is near. In fact, we could say it this way. God is here. Isn't that a good reminder? We tend to act like, like God is out there watching us, you know, and like see. No, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God literally dwells within you if you're a Christ follower. 
Colossians is going to say this, that the fullness of God dwells in Jesus and the fullness of Jesus dwells in you through the indwelling Holy Spirit that you received the moment you got saved. So God is literally here. I, I don't know about you, but when I stop and recognize that and just take a breath and just kind of check myself and say, wait, God is with me. My temperament changes, my heart changes, my attitude changes, my outlook changes because I have a God who is with me. Friends, what would your life look like if you believed and lived as if God is here? So what should be the result of living as if the Lord is at hand? Well, the text is very plain. It says a new command in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Oh, I'm anxious about this point. How are we doing on worry, friends? The NIV literally says, don't worry about anything. I don't like that translation, so I got my ESV out today. Don't worry about anything. I've been worried all week about how this message on worry was going to go over. Are there any other worriers like me? Man, it's easy for us. I see that hand. Thank you, brother. And it happens, doesn't it? Like, man, it just, we so quickly can get consumed with the craziness of our world around us. Talking about the news, if you're not worried today, go home and, and open your web browser and go to one of the news stations, right? You'll find something to be worried about. We live in an anxious culture. Anxiety is really at an all-time high. It's everywhere. There's so much to be worried about, but Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. But what I love about the scripture is that he doesn't say, hey, stop worrying, guys, and move on. No, but he tells us the secret to beating anxiety in our lives. He tells us the secret to overcoming a life of worry, and here's the response. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Pray about everything. And prayer is one of those things, friends, that, that for me, it, it's really easy to talk about, but it's really difficult to actually do. Anybody else? Oh, I, thank God. We got a room full of prayer warriors. Praise the Lord. <laughs> prayer is easy to talk about, but it's hard to actually do. I, I think as a pastor for several years, one of the things that I, I know from talking to people that come to my office, say, man, I got this burden. Here's the struggle I've got going on. And one of the first questions I ask is, well, have you been in the word and have you been praying? And of course, because I'm the pastor, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, yes, pastor. But man, I'll just tell you that, that I recognize my first inclination is not always to pray. It's not. I would rather worry. Sometimes that feels more productive, doesn't it? Let me just be honest. Prayer is a difficult and challenging thing for us as the people of God, yet it's what he's called us to do, to be a people of prayer. Man, in the church, we say things like, well, all we can do is pray about it. All we can do? That tells you what we think about prayer, doesn't it? Here's all I, and listen, friends, I know you brought this big problem to me. Unfortunately, the only thing I'm going to be able to do is take it to the creator of the universe who at this very moment is holding every molecule of it together by the word of his power. I'm sorry, that's all I can do. That's all I can do. 
I, I can only take it to the one who created you and has a perfect plan for your life if you'd walk in it. All I can do is take it to him and ask him, I'm sorry. How ridiculous of us, but that's how we act about prayer. It's like as a last resort, if nothing to break, break glass in case of need of emergency, right? I guess we'll pray. And what would it look like if the first inclination of our heart was to go to the Lord? We've turned prayer into this weird, mysterious, kind of spiritual, mystical thing. You, know, you hear some people pray and they use all this fancy language and you're like, man, I gotta pray like that. I'm not praying out loud. You gotta sound all like secret code words. Can't do that. Friends, listen, prayer is simply this, but it's profoundly this too. Sharing your heart with God. My goodness, that the God of all creation, that same God who spoke the universe and spoke you into existence and right now is holding this whole thing from blowing up into a bajillion pieces, that same God says, come, share your heart with me. Come share your heart with me. You can talk to him out loud. You can just pray. You can think to him. You, can, you don't even have to speak out loud, and he's hearing our prayers. What an incredible privilege and joy it is to be able to pray. I think prayerlessness is one of the main hindrances of the church of Jesus Christ in 2023. The fact that we are not a praying people stops us from being who God wants us to be. Do you want to know the fastest way to kill a service at a church? Call it a prayer meeting. It's true. I've seen it happen. I've witnessed it. We, we don't want to pray. Yet when you read the book of Acts and you see God moving in absolutely extraordinary ways and people say, man, why doesn't God move like that anymore? People have asked me that a tons of times. They read the book of Acts. It's the first time they've seen stuff like that happen, and they're like, whoa. And some people write it off, well, that was a different dispensation. No, can I tell you what I believe? What I ask people is when they ask me that, I'm like, well, when's the last time we had an all-night prayer meeting? When's the last time that we as the people of God were crying out to God and asking him to move in our city and move in our community and move in our region? When was the last time we were broken for our community enough to come and seek the Lord on their behalf and ask him to move them and to move us to, to go and reach them? When was the last time we had that kind of fervency in prayer? Friends, I believe that if we were to become a praying people, that God would move in mighty, mighty ways. But not only corporately, but man, personally, our anxiety and our worry and our lack of rejoicing would be changed if we prayed. Here's what I believe. A life of rejoicing is a life built on prayer. A life of rejoicing is a life built on prayer. And here's where I want to kind of encourage you this morning. Because right now, some of you are like, just like, man, you're going to leave upset because some of you are worried about how little you pray in a message about stop worrying. And I want to tell you, I am right there with you. I feel like I am a professional worrier. Anxiety, and I just got to share with you, man, over the years as the Lord has brought me to this passage, 
I'll read, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Can I tell you what I've felt? Guilt and shame. I've had anxiety about the biblical command to not be anxious. And here's why. And I've dealt with anxiety. Even like clinical anxiety. I've gone to therapy before. Like some of you are like, oh, you didn't tell us that, Pastor. Well, sorry. (laughs) That can happen too. Some of you are like, we knew it was a little off, (laughs) all right? Preacher's got to have someone to talk to sometimes, right? And I've dealt with this. And, man, I come to this passage, and I'm like, Lord, how, how can I be dealing with anxiety when you say don't be anxious? I feel like there's something wrong. And, man, I worry. And, again, like I said, the irony of being anxiety about being anxiety-ridden. And in that moment, one day I came to this text, and I'll never forget what the Lord showed me. And I want to encourage and set some of you free today that may be dealing with that same thing. If you're a worrier in the house today, I want to just tell you something that's absolutely incredible and that is going to set you free and equip you for God's mission for your life. If you're a worrier, God has equipped you to be a prayer warrior. Here's what I want to tell you, friends. Listen to me. Every inclination you have to worry is actually an invitation to pray. Every time you catch yourself worrying about something, you know what the Holy Spirit's trying to do? Get you to pray about it. And you're left in a choice every single one of those times. You can choose to grumble and complain and fret and worry, or you can choose to take it to the only one who can do something about it. Isn't that wild, too? Like, the things we worry about are so far beyond our pay grade. What do you think you're going to accomplish sitting there in the middle of the night for a couple of hours with heartburn, worried about something you can't even fix? When the God of all creation says, bring me your needs, share your heart with me. The beautiful promise of this text, so simple but so profound, comes in verse 7. It says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, God's peace keeps us rejoicing. And I love really what we have here is kind of a circle, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. How do we do that? Don't worry, but instead pray about everything. Remember God's with us, so instead of worrying, give it to him. And when that happens, he gives us peace. And guess what that peace leads us to? More rejoicing. This is how we begin to live a life of rejoicing. So many of us have abandoned the peace of God for the anxiety of our culture. Think of that old hymn, What a friend we have in Jesus. Remember this? All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And this, this is the one that gets me, because this is my story so often. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Why? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Friends, are you living a life of rejoicing today? If you're not, can I tell you, it's available. Peace that passes understanding is yours for the taking if you would just stop worrying and start praying. 
Can I also encourage you and say this is a process? I don't want to end. He's like, oh, he sang a song and he's going to end. Some of y'all are excited. Y'all hang on. Because here's what's going to happen. Some of y'all worry is going to hit you like a freight train this afternoon. And you're going to be like, Dad, gum, another sermon that didn't take. You're going to maybe sing the song to yourself. You're going to say a prayer and you're not going to instantly feel better. And you're going to think it doesn't work. Oh, but can I tell you, developing this cycle of rejoicing takes work. It takes help. You know what else we're going to have to learn to do next week? And this is a whooping, just telling you. I'm already working on the sermon. We're going to have to start thinking about the things we think about. Good luck with that. Let's talk about it next week. Lord, we love you. We thank you for making rejoicing possible. God, real life can happen. Real life transformation. Lord, Lord, I know there are probably a ton of people whose lives are marked by anxiety and worry. And today, Lord, you want to set them free. You want to turn warriors into prayer warriors in this room today. So, Lord, I ask that you would do that, God, that you would make that happen, that you would help us to walk out the grace that you've given us. Lord, we want to be people changed by you so that we can live for you. So, God, help us to make that happen. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in here who doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that today would be the day they surrender their lives to you, that they just ask you to come and be their Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you for this word, and I pray, God, you'd let it settle into our hearts. Thank you for listening to Central Baptist Church Buna's weekly sermon podcast. May God bless you as you continue to connect, grow, and serve.